For us to open God's word and hear from him this morning, we're going to be reading John 15, uh, verse 26 to 16, verse 33. Uh, So pull out your phone with your app or your Bible. If you need a Bible and don't have one, uh, we can supply one. There's a bunch out the back. Somebody will be able to bring one to you. Just stick your hand up. Or the passage is inside the leaflet if you've got one of those on your way in. And uh, Tony's going to read that for us. But before he does, uh, let me pray for us for our time in God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious deposit, the revelation of yourself and your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in your Word, which has been passed down from generation to generation so that we can know you. We thank you for the power of this Word. We thank you that when you speak, things happen. We thank you that you have gathered us here this morning to hear you and to be bound together even more as your people by your spirit. So this morning, open our ears, soften our hearts and prepare us to be formed and moved and guided by your wisdom and truth. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so John 15, verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact... The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he comes, the spirit of truth, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? 
They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. Yet I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very, very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, thank you, Tony. And we're making our way, of course, to the cross and going through... John, John's Gospel, chapters 9 to 17. This is chapter 16, part of that five-chapter um, uh, report, really, of what happens with Jesus, his conversation with the disciples on the night before they die. And we'll get to chapter 17 on Thursday night, Jesus' prayer for, the, um, for himself, the disciples, and for us. Um, but we're in chapter 16 today and uh, we need to pray. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, please still our hearts and minds uh, as we come to consider the wonderful, important and still relevant words of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples. Please help us to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus said would be sent and who has been sent. And we pray that we who live on this side of the cross would understand his ministry and the value of Jesus being away. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we all know that it takes time to digest hard news, especially the news that someone we love has to leave. Um, I remember being a young boy when my dad broke the news to the family that he had to go for three months for work to Canberra. And um, 
for three months for a young boy of five or six years old, it felt like an eternity, three months. And I remember asking dad, well, where are you going? Canberra was the answer. My question of where are you going wasn't really my question. The question I was really asking when I was asking where was why, why do you have to go? What place is so important that you would have to leave us? Well, back in chapter 14, Jesus had told his disciples that he needed to go. The disciples had asked the where question, where are you going? It wasn't really a question about where, it was a question about why. Why do you have to go? And for the last two chapters, 14 and 15, Jesus has been explaining why he has to go, but now in chapter 16, he circles back to that question of where, and he says, I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? I mean, I know you did back in chapter 14, but you weren't really asking the question where, you were asking the question why. I knew that, you knew that, so I've been answering that question. But you're not really asking the question of where. And fair enough, he says, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. It takes time to digest hard news. But in this night, the hours are drawing on. And he doesn't have long with them before he knows he'll be taken. The disciples still feel like they need to know why. Ironically, if they'd spent time understanding where he was going, they'd better understand the why. But for their sake, Jesus cuts to the chase on the why question. And he says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Now, I remember my dad trying to say the same thing to me. In my case, if he went away, when he came back on the weekends, he'd bring me a sticker book. Well, that worked for me. But Jesus' disciples need more than stickers. And so he tells them, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this now raises a question for us. Is this Jesus just trying to compensate the disciples in their grief, or is it actually part of a plan which really would be for their best? Because who's better off? Is it the disciples when they were there with Jesus, following Jesus around, or or people like us, those who came later, people who've never physically seen him? Now, you or I automatically think, you know, we would have loved to have been there, to have seen him, uh, to see the stories happen, which we go through again and again and again. And that's to say nothing of the sick people in our lives who we would have loved to bring to Jesus, to have him heal them. But Jesus says, no, 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 it's for your good that I'm going away. Well, what do you think? Is there any advantage to us now over being there with Jesus back then? Well, Jesus says there is. There really is. When you think about it, Jesus' ministry was physically limited to those that he had interaction with, right? 
Now, Jesus had wanted it expanded. That's why he called his disciples to follow him, to, to become fishers of men, to share in his ministry. That's why he sent them out, the 12, and then he sent the 72 disciples out in Luke chapter 10. He gave them authority to preach and to teach and heal in his name. He, he wanted an expansive ministry. But even then, just think about this. At the end of three years of Jesus' ministry, three years of ministry of the wisest, most insightful, most authoritative preacher who has ever lived, his followers were only 120. Now, when you think about it, that, that can only be a testimony to the hardness of the human heart, that, we could, that he could only have 120 followers after three years. And yet within 50 days of him dying, there were thousands. Why? Not because thousands saw him alive and believed. Why? Jesus says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. The advocate, the parakletos in Greek, the Holy Spirit. Not an it, a person, he. If I go, Jesus says, I will send him, not it, him to you. The Holy Spirit is not a force, <clears throat> he is a person. The third person of the Godhead. Jesus says, when he comes, here's what he will do. Jesus had to go and then send them the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to hear a little bit about the Holy Spirit as Jesus uh, teaches on it. It's not everything in the Bible that uh, uh, speaks, mentions the Holy Spirit. Um, he is mentioned much more than in John 16. We are going to learn uh, in our weekend uh, together in June, the June long weekend, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul Harrington will be speaking to us about the Holy Spirit then. But Jesus couldn't send the Holy Spirit without him going. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. He had to go to then send the Holy Spirit. Now we might ask ourselves, why did Jesus have to go away before the Holy Spirit could be sent? In this chapter, Jesus doesn't tell us. But here are my two thoughts on this. These are not divine revelation, these are my thoughts as I try and understand it, all right? Number one, we remember when the Holy Spirit did come 50 days after Jesus had died, the physical sign of the Holy Spirit being present were tongues of fire that came to rest on the heads of the disciples gathered in Jerusalem. Tongues of fire, now they are always, a, signs are always a sign of something. <laughs> tongues of fire, and we remember then the sign of God's presence in the Old Testament. Do you remember the column of fire guiding the Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness? And then when they would set up camp, as they were journeying through the wilderness over those years, they would set up camp around the tabernacle, and the column of fire would come over the tabernacle and mark God's presence. And the fact that the Lord... Almighty was dwelling with his people. It's a massive thing for the Holy Lord 
the one true God to dwell with sinful people. And that's why there was a need for a tabernacle, effectively a, a series of barriers which stopped the people being able to come too close. This wasn't to be mean, this was to save their lives because if they came too close to a holy God, they being sinners, they would die because it's a dangerous thing for a holy God to live amongst sinful people. And it could only happen with the provision of a sacrificial system and a tabernacle and a priesthood for it to happen. When you think about it, that sign of fire and the tabernacle goes some way to explaining why it wasn't until after Jesus' death that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell with his disciples. That is, atonement needed first to be made. There needed to be a full and complete sacrifice for sins made by Jesus, our eternal high priest, a sacrifice which would turn away the anger of the Lord once and for all. Only then could the Holy Spirit come. Now again, this isn't said in the Bible, this is me trying to figure it out. So come and tell me why I'm wrong later on. But second, in verse seven, Jesus says that if he goes, he will send the advocate to you. Jesus himself sends the Holy Spirit. It may be that part of the reason why Jesus had to go, go first of all before he sent the Spirit was that he needed to receive the authority to be able to send the Spirit and we know that it was after he had risen from the dead that he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. Maybe that's the reason. As I said, Jesus doesn't say it here, it's just me trying to figure it out. But Jesus says, it's true, without him going, he could not send the Holy Spirit to us. With him going, he could. And that is good news for the disciples who were to carry on Jesus' ministry and it's good news for us as well, how so? Because Jesus says, I'm going to send you someone who will be your advocate. And we say, what does that mean? <laughs> the word advocate or paraclete is used five times in the New Testament. It's used in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10 in reference to Jesus and his ministry as our high priest when, he sinned, when we sin. He is our advocate. He's on the side of the sinner. He's not just a mediator between us and God, he actually is on our side. He advocates for us on our behalf when we sin. This is great assurance. We have an advocate in heaven. That's one reference in 1 John 2. But the other four references occur in these chapters in reference to the Holy Spirit, not to Jesus, but to the Holy Spirit. So in what sense is the Holy Spirit an advocate? Well, Jesus explains, he says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. How do we understand this? My best go is to say, when Jesus' disciples preach and share in his ministry and share the gospel, it's not going to fall on entirely hard hearts because the Holy Spirit will be advocating for them in the hearts and minds of their listeners. In other words, as they preach and share the news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is convicting their hearers about three things. Number one, about their sin. 
Jesus says, because people don't believe in me, and they need to. People first need to realize that they are sinners and that their sin is grievous to the Lord. Because no one will accept a savior unless they know they need saving. And that won't happen unless they are first convicted that they are sinners and that their sin is a big problem. But how does that happen when our hearts are so hardened against God? Well, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to advocate for the disciples as they are sharing the good news and he softens and turns the minds and hearts of the listeners as the disciples are preaching. Number two, he will convict them about righteousness. Now, I think this is saying about their perceived righteousness. We remember, while Jesus was on earth, part of his ministry was to help self-righteous people realize that their righteousness wasn't really righteous at all. Um, And he saw through them and he called out hypocrisy that was there and evident in the self-righteous people, typically the Pharisees. He didn't do it just because he loved being judgmental. He did it because, frankly, our own self-righteousness is, uh, you know, the acts of self-righteousness are dirty rags to God. But if you think that they're really fantastic, you won't call on a saviour. If you think you're full of your own righteousness, you, you just won't think you need it. Look, Lord, see my beautiful dirty rags. Jesus, while he was here, called this out. But if he was going to go, who would do it? Well, the Spirit, who would advocate with the apostles as they shared the gospel, bringing conviction that our own righteousness is filthy rags. And thirdly, the Spirit would also be convicting people about judgment. Now, it could be about the judgment to come, that the judgment to come is real. That may be true. I wonder, though, whether it's more talking about the false judgments people make about Jesus. Jesus says, the advocate will convict the world about judgment because the prince of this world who has deceived people on Jesus now stands condemned. Um, The condemnation of Satan was declared with power by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That Jesus rose after Satan had done his worst declares Jesus with power to be the indisputable Lord of all. And when the disciples preached, the Spirit would advocate for them, making people realize, gosh, the judgments that I've been making about Jesus, where I've been passing him off or ridiculing him, they are entirely wrong. And so on the day of Pentecost, it happened. When the Jewish crowd heard Peter preach, and when Jesus had been preaching, they they pushed him away. But when they heard Peter preach, they were cut to the heart. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? And they realized their judgment, their previous judgment that they'd made about Jesus was wrong. And they repented and they were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Some of us will be asking the question, well, you know, if the Holy Spirit is still with us and he is still persuasive as the disciples, as we advocate, sorry, as, sorry, if the Spirit is 
persuasive as our advocate as we share the gospel. Why is it the case that not everyone believes? Now that question isn't answered here. But in John's gospel, in chapter six, Jesus has said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. In chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd and my sheep listen to my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. In John 17, we'll get to that on Thursday night, Jesus will pray that he would lose none of those that the Father has given him. Of course, our issue is that neither you nor I know who they are in advance, do we? Until they repent. And maybe that can happen on the first time someone hears the gospel, or it might take 500 times. We don't know. And so we can never say, oh, that person's not chosen, so I won't speak to them. We just don't know. Is it on the first time you share the gospel that the Holy Spirit will bring that conviction or is it on the 500th? We don't know. Our job is to do it. But what Jesus is focusing on here is the work of the Spirit in turning someone's hard heart around, the work that he does in someone as the good news is being shared. And he, the advocate, is why countless millions today have turned to the Lord. It's not that he is more powerful than Jesus. He just has a different role. Jesus was there to reveal God and to take our sins to the cross and to be the agent of salvation. The Holy Spirit takes that finished work of Jesus and then applies it personally in someone's life. And he does it through the gospel. But unless Jesus went to the Father by the way of the cross and the empty tomb, he wouldn't have come to us. Okay. Next, Jesus speaks of another thing that the Spirit will do. Verse 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will speak what he hears from Jesus and he will tell you, my 11 apostles, what is yet to come. In other words, the Spirit will reveal Jesus' words to the apostles for Jesus' glory. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will have received what he will make known to you. It's important to hear Jesus on this. He's, Jesus is saying the Spirit, when he comes, he will not have anything additional to say beyond that which Jesus himself says. Okay, did you see that? Verse 13, he will speak only what he hears. Verse 15, the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. It's not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't speak, he does. Jesus is saying he has a voice, but his voice is not additional to Jesus' own voice. The spirit's voice, according to Jesus, is Jesus' voice. We heard this last year, didn't we, when we were looking at Jesus' words to the churches in uh, the book of Revelation, chapters two and three. After each of the seven letters, we heard at the end Jesus saying, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It was Jesus' words, but it's what the Spirit's now saying through those words to us. They're Jesus' words. So for us, he takes what Jesus has said to the apostles, now recorded in the Bible, 
And when it's preached, he drives it home by enlightening our hearts and minds so that we hear in the apostles' words the words of Jesus spoken to us through the Spirit who is in those who believe. Okay? So what are we saying? Jesus comforts his disciples by going away. The advocate, he says, will come to you and he will not only make your job of carrying my work effective, he will multiply the fruit that come from your efforts. But what about the disciples' grief at not seeing him? I want you to imagine that you were one of them. You had spent three years following him. He had amazed you more often than you thought possible. You had given up everything to follow him and now, on that night, he's saying, he's gonna go. Now Jesus knows that you're in grief and so he comforts you. After a little while, he says, you will see me. And then this starts the rather funny account of them muttering, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more and after a little while you will see me. And then Jesus saying, are you asking me what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more and then after a little while you'll see me. And then he says, look, you will grieve. You will weep. You will mourn. And the world will rejoice. But here's the thing, guys. Your grief is going to turn to joy. Now it's your time of grief. But I'm going to see you again and no one will take away your joy. He's saying, do not despair. Before you is just the looming specter of Good Friday. You cannot see beyond it. But Sunday is coming. Your grief will give way to joy. We have to remember this, don't we? Some of you have had a very hard year. I want you to make sure you come on Easter Sunday. Or if you're away, go to church on Easter Sunday. Right, wherever you are, just go. Here, we will be opening up John 20 to this, that beautiful moment of interaction between Jesus, risen from the dead, and Mary Magdalene, who's in grief, and thinking that Jesus' body has been taken and thinking that he's the gardener who's probably taken it. And then he opens her eyes. We can only imagine the sort of joy that erupted in their minds and hearts. This is what enabled the disciples to persevere in the decades ahead. It was such a powerful joy, ongoing joy. It bore them through as Jesus' words in verse two came true. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And it happened. In Acts chapter 12, James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, Jesus' brother, is put to death. Peter's seized and thrown in jail. And ultimately, all the apostles except John would literally lose their lives for Christ. None of them sought it. But neither did they crack. You know, such was their joy on Easter Sunday in knowing that Jesus had risen, the Lord of life, the conqueror of death. He triumphed over the grave. He removed judgment. No condemnation. It's gone. 
the victor over Satan. They knew eternal life with Christ was such a sure hope that when persecution came, they endured it rather than denying Jesus their Savior and Lord. This joy bore them through. We ought to remember your grief will turn to joy. And verse 23, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. This is the third week for us that Jesus has reiterated this promise that he will answer prayers asked by his disciples in his name. I'm not going to rehash what I've already covered in the last two weeks, except to say that praying in Jesus' name means more than just saying the words like open sesame. To pray in the name of Jesus means to pray with our hearts and minds and will in alignment with those of Jesus, his hearts, his goal, his will. Do that and he'll answer your prayers. And secondly, Jesus' emphasis is on the disciples' future experience of joy. That's what he's emphasizing here. As they will realize in their answered prayers that their Lord is alive, you know, he's accessible to them. He hears them. He's still involved in their ministry because he answers their prayers in his name. And he says all this will come about because verse 28, having come from the Father and having entered the world, he is now leaving the world and he's gonna go back to the Father. And then they say, well now we understand, you're speaking clearly, now we believe. And Jesus says, oh really? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. He knows what's going to happen only in a few hours. He says, you will leave me all alone. And yet, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Now, sometimes we try and understand what happened at the cross, and we can say things like, oh, the Trinity was split, because didn't Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And didn't Jesus in Gethsemane pray, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me, and yet the Father answered with silence. And so we can say there was the Father pouring out his wrath upon the sin bearer to turn, our, turn his wrath against us away. And if Jesus really went through hell for us, the Trinity was split. I wouldn't go so far as saying that. Because here Jesus says, I am not alone for my Father is with me. We just have to be careful in how we explain it. Now, why does Jesus say this? He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And there are his last words to his disciples really on that night. We'll eavesdrop in on his prayer. He's going to turn to his father and pray. But that's really his last word to his disciples. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Now what does he mean? 
in a few hours' time, the cross is going to be the arena. The world is about to throw at Jesus his worst. The horror and the humiliation of crucifixion. But by going there and enduring, he and the Father would through love forge a way through the hatred of the world that exists towards God. He would pay for the sins of the world. And by rising from the dead, he truly would overcome. The world, of course, could not touch Jesus anymore after he'd risen from the dead, after the world had done their worst. And in fact, he'd overcome because all that hatred he would actually use to win salvation for the world. It's boggling, isn't it? And Jesus knows this and he has this perspective and he gives it to his disciples that in him they may have peace though in the world they will have trouble. And they're the final words Jesus has for his disciples. And in them he sets our expectations, expectations which mirror that of Easter. Friday, trouble, grief, sadness, death. Sunday, resurrection, life, hope, glory. Take heart, says Jesus. In me, you may have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Father, thank you that we have been able to be, um, to eavesdrop in on these Words of Jesus to his disciples on the night before he died. Thank you for the advocate whom Jesus sent and now millions of people around the world, including us, have believed and do believe. And we praise you so much that Jesus' ministry isn't limited to the physical spot that he's at. But he, the Holy Spirit, works through the preaching of the gospel to bring conviction in our own lives and in the lives of we share the, those who we share the gospel with conviction about sin and self-righteousness and our judgments about Jesus. Thank you. And thank you for the promise of answered prayers. Thank you that Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. Thank you that he isn't removed, he's involved. Thank you, Father, for that tremendous assurance. And thank you, Father, that in him we have peace. Thank you that he went. Amen.